It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And welcome into another edition of another Carolina podcast, your typical Monday no huddle edition. I'm Wes Mitchell alongside Chris Clark. We are both, of course, from Gamecock Central and uh, breaking down South Carolina's 30 to 6 loss to Texas A&M as we do every Monday. Um, you know, Chris, I, where, where do we start here? I, I tell you, as, as much as we have talked about how this team has been unpredictable this season as far as not really knowing what to expect week in, week out, um, you know, how you know you beat Georgia, lose to App State, et cetera, et cetera. Um, th- this game for me was actually uh, pretty thoroughly predictable if you sort of look at the way South Carolina's played lately. Um, you know, unable again to get anything going in the running game, uh, passing game inefficient again, uh, defense on the field a ton, offense unable to make third downs, defense wears down in the fourth quarter and gives up 17 points. Um, you know, as, as much as this season has been just uh, all over the place, roller coaster, whatever terminology you want to use uh, this one to me I, I thought played out almost a, about like what we would have expected going in yeah I mean it, it really the defense I think did everything that it could for most of the football game um, you know this is a defense that you know you look at it and you say oh it gave it 30 points it's not a good performance but you, you almost look at it Wes I was thinking about it earlier today like a pitcher who gets just absolutely no run support. Who who was it? I think for the Braves was it Shelby Miller who had like <laughs> 12, I mean like 12 straight losses or something. I'm sort of making up that number, but he had just an inordinate amount of really good starts, but got no run support. Uh-huh. And so his record just was not good at all. And a, a person who watched, watched a lot of major league baseball can correct me on that. But, you know, I think there, there's an analogy to be drawn there and that, you know, there's only so much the defense can do when you when you're putting them on the field a lot. A, a team in Texas A&M that's not a tempo football team that ends up running, I think, 83 snaps, right? I mean, that that's not good, and that means that your defense is staying on the field a lot. Obviously, South Carolina was able to rotate the defensive line, you know, a good amount in that game. But at some point, you're going to have some breakdowns, and and late in that football game, that's what happened. South Carolina for a large portion of the game was over on third down. Uh, they still were horrific throughout the course of the game on third down overall. Bad field position for most of the game. Just couldn't get anything going. And, and when when you can't stay balanced, when you can't move the football, it's going to make your defense look worse, and you're not going to be able to put up enough points. So I wasn't surprised, you know, at the at the lack of efficiency offensively. I think obviously with, with a, a low margin of error football team, having no, you know, no Brian Edwards was – you know, that when that was announced, it was almost you thought it was curtains, you know. And the first play of the game, or the first carry of the game for Rico Dowdle, a well-designed play, actually, um, you know, you could tell he wasn't himself. I mean, I, I thought his first carry of the game when I looked at that and combined that with Brian Edwards, I didn't like South Carolina's chances at all. I didn't go on in, but even more then. Because that first carry for Rico, I think, was like a 20, 25-yarder with a healthy Rico, and I think it was an 11-yarder. 
He, he just didn't have it. And then you have Notavian Feaster. You're down. A bunch of guys. The protection's not good. You can't run it. You can't throw it. Um, it, it was just a disastrous performance all the way around, I think, for South Carolina. But not surprising. Yeah, no, and, you know, I think you could have predicted it. At least if things sort of played out the way they were trending, um, you know, you, you sort of could have predicted that it that it comes out like this. Um, you know, I, I just, Chris, I look at situational football, and, and that's something that really has been, you know, when Muschamp talks about keys to winning and, and really the way they structure their practices, um, you know, third down situations, uh, two-minute situations, red zone situations, stuff like that, situational football. Um, always a key to winning, especially when you're in a conference game where, you know, the game normally comes down to like a handful, five to ten plays. Um, you know, third down conversions, red zone scoring, stuff like that is it, such a key part of what you do. And, uh, you know, you talked about the third down conversions in this game. Uh, you know, they, they were over, you know, well, I think into the third quarter, maybe into the fourth. Um, then – you know, you, you just look at the entire season, though. I mean, I, I pulled the conference-only stats, and right now South Carolina has converted 32.5% of uh, of third downs, which is actually 12th in the conference, um, ahead of only Arkansas, who obviously we know what they've done the last two years overall. They fired their head coach. And Vanderbilt, who has been awful offensively, um, you shoot over to time of possession, South Carolina, 13th out of 14 in the conference, averaging just 27 minutes and 7 seconds time of possession per game. Uh, Arkansas, the only team worse for them in that stat. Uh, you look at red zone conversion. You know, before the season started, there's a lot of discussion about not just scoring percentage in the red zone, which is obviously touchdowns or field goals, but touchdown percentage and how many times you get six when you're in the red zone. South Carolina's touchdown percentage Right now in conference games, 44% in the red zone. Uh, that's good for 11th in the conference behind only Vanderbilt, Tennessee, or excuse me, ahead of only Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and Missouri. Um, you look at just raw scoring percentage in the red zone, um, goes up a little bit uh, to 72%, which is ninth in the conference. Uh, but that obviously means you're kicking – you're kicking a lot of, you know, you're kicking field goals in those situations as opposed to scoring touchdowns. So, um, you know, and uh, you know, South Carolina hasn't really turned the ball over down there very much, which obviously is a positive. But they're they're not getting touchdowns. That was a key this this off season. And um, you know, if, if you're not if you're not good offensively and you're not creating explosive plays, which we we talked about it all last year. You know, this offense was improved in a lot of categories. To me, a big reason for that was explosive plays. And we saw, you know, maybe we saw, Chris, the maybe we could have seen this coming because, you know, when the explosive plays were not there last year, South Carolina's offense at times really bogged down. But they had enough explosive plays from a Debo Samuel, from a Brian Edwards, from a Shai Smith at times that it sort of uh, made the numbers look a little bit better. Um, you take away those explosive plays in spurts last year, offense bogged down now you're taking away the explosive plays um really for the entire season at least at the same rate they had them last year and we're seeing the offense completely bogged down and then unable to stay on the field if if you can't create explosive plays then you have to be able to execute and be efficient in these third down situations and you know frankly you got to be efficient when you have opportunities in the red zone you know um you know one team can can average 350 yards a game 
but if they score touchdowns in the red zone every time, then, uh, you know, they, they can be better than a team that averages 430 yards a game but kicks field goals, you know. But mm-hmm. if you're not doing any of these things, then voila, you have South Carolina's offensive output. Exactly. It's just been, you know, I think I think I, I said it on Monday with our show, or I'm sorry, back on Wednesday with our show with Pearson is that it, it's everything. And if it's not right. one thing, it's it's another, you know, I mean, like if they do happen to catch lightning in a bottle and be able to do one thing, well, it seems like it's something else that comes up. You know, if they they've had games where they run the football pretty well, but, you know, they'll they'll have, you know, turnovers or. Um, you know, they'll have, they'll settle for field goals. I mean, you've got all these different things. You even look to the Alabama game. I mean, they moved the football well in that game through the air. Uh, they run the football well. Rico Dowdle goes over 100 yards. But they have, you know, it just illustrates, you know, you have a, a first and goal situation before the half and you get nothing, you know, um, on four downs. You know, you have turnovers in that game. So, lately, they just haven't been able to do anything. I mean, none of it. There's there's no running the football. Uh, there's no third down conversions. There's there's not even any third and manageable situations, not many of them. You know, you get a lot of third and longs or third and mediums, which are, are still tough for this football team. You haven't gotten, like you said, Wes, I mean, not as many turnovers lately. Uh, that is one thing that Ryan Holinsky's done a pretty good job with lately. Um, but they've just been ineffective at every other part. This team can't even get set up to score. I mean, so – you know, throw everything about – and those are relevant statistics for sure as far as red zone scoring, but they just haven't even gotten a ton of opportunities lately to go down there and even try to score to where we're even talking about the difference between touchdowns and field goals. So um, that would be a problem that this team would honestly like to have. Uh, they, just, <laughs> right. they, just, they just lately – they lately have not been able to move it at all. And so, um, you know, you just, you just factor it all in into there with, you know, the injuries and – has there been play calling issues at times? Sure. I mean, as coaches, your job is to find a way. You know, you got to find a way. Um, if you've got a bunch of injuries, uh, is there something that, that's causing those, you know, within the program that you got to look at that? I mean, you got to look at all of it. And I think these things will be addressed um, because they've got to be addressed. It's just not tenable to keep keep moving forward uh, like they are right now. Yeah, what one just buzzword all season – has been identity, as Frank Martin would say. Um, but the uh, the identity of this offense. Yep. Um, and, and people, you know, to, to me, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I think that I, that concept some sometimes is a little bit overblown because, yep. the, you know, the, the really good offenses, you know, frankly, are, are pretty multiple. They, they do a little bit of everything. The great offenses can run it when they need to run it. They can throw it when they need to throw it. They can go quick game. They can go down the field. They can go RPO. Uh, they can get you in short, you know, short yardage situations. The really good offenses, their identity is moving the football and scoring points. You know, so I think it's easy to be like, well, it doesn't. You know, the offense doesn't look good. They don't have an identity. Um, but to some people's points, you know, for a stretch of the season, I, I actually have the the rushing offense game log pulled up right now by game. You know, there was a point when South Carolina's identity became being a good, you know, running football team. And, uh, you know, they sort of doubled down on the pin and pull, uh, you know, the down and around scheme they caught and had some really good results. They rushed for 247 yards against Kentucky, 
142 yards in Athens, which if you grade that on a scale compared to, you know, Georgia against other opponents is a really good number, I think. 217 against Florida in a loss, but still, you know, you're you're averaging 5.05 yards a pop in that game. Had two rushing touchdowns. Um, but then, Chris, three of the last four games, um, the Vanderbilt game notwithstanding, they, they ran the ball pretty well against Vandy, rushed it 49 times for 205 yards and a touchdown. But three of the last four, you're talking at Tennessee, talking App State at home, and then Texas A&M this past week. The rushing total is 78, 21, and then 45. Um, Average 0.78 yards of carry against App and 2.65 yards of carry against A&M on Saturday. Um, You know, the the offense, as far as the passing game, has been pretty consistently inconsistent, you would say. Like, it, it hasn't been that efficient all year long. But at times, they've been able to lead on the running game and give themselves a chance. Um, Down the stretch, they have not been able to do that, which I don't think we're telling anybody something they don't already know when we say that. I just think the question at this point becomes how, (laughs) why, um, (laughs) you know, is, is, is App State's front better than Georgia or Florida's? Obviously not. Uh, Texas A&M. You know, really good front, I right? Think. But still, seventeen carries for forty-five yards. Um, you know, I lo- I looked it up, dude. App was, or excuse me, A and M was allowing one hundred and forty, one hundred fifty, something like that, rushing yards a game. So, they, you know, they haven't just been as talented as they are. They haven't been a lockdown run defense where just there's no room at all. Um, and I, I thought there, I thought Carolina tried to do some new things schematically. They had some different stuff, some misdirection, um, some sort of – it was almost like uh, some of their stuff was a little more delayed. Like um, the the timing of their running game was a little bit different in this game. They tried to do some things to keep – I think to keep A&M from just copying App State's game plan. But uh, it, it seems like opponents have adjusted to the pin and pull, and um, South Carolina has tried to adjust and do some different things, and their adjustments have, have not worked. And uh, it, it's – it's really been this way for two years now. When South Carolina is unable to run the football, they really, really struggle to win games. Yeah, and so you made a couple points there that I want to hit on. The, the last one first is that if they can't run the football, you know, they can't win games, and, and it's true. And so you say, well, why is that? Well, I think you look at the circumstances right now, too. I mean, against A&M, the, the only guy that's been a consistent wide receiver this year has been Brian Edwards. He was standing on the sideline, right? And so – you know, you got that. Um, South Carolina's playing a freshman quarterback who has who has had two different injuries this year that he's been dealing with. Is he healthier than he was at the beginning of the season? Yeah. But but you can't say that he's been unaffected by those things. And he's also still a freshman, you know, and he's, he's struggled, you know, against Texas A&M. He's had some games in which he struggled, and this was one of them. Part of it was receivers. You could blame, you know, maybe some things schematically, but the receivers, I mean, are down. You know, he's in some tough situations. He's having to throw off his back foot a lot. You know, he's getting hit. You got all those things. And so South Carolina just doesn't have – there are a lot of teams around the country that if they do get in third and nine, they have a bunch of bailout players. They got guys you can throw to their back shoulder and it's first down. Or you can get a guy in space and it's a first down. You know, um, I saw Alabama run a play against Tennessee. Tennessee had, you know, I think – six or seven guys with just heels on the first down line, just keeping everything in front. 
no problem. They just ran a little bubble screen, first down. You know, I mean, just making guys miss. So, South Carolina doesn't have all those guys. So, yes, it does go back to recruiting. It does go back to staying healthy. You know, th- those things are key. Um, secondly, I mean, I think the question that a lot of people have that you brought up is, you know, what's been the difference in the run game? And I do think you already touched on some of the schematic stuff, so I don't want to rehash that. But another one that's just pretty obvious is the personnel. I mean, Tavian Feaster's not playing. Yep. You know, he hasn't been on the field. And Rico Dowdle is not himself. Hobbled. He's yeah. hobbled. And you can always tell with Rico. I mean, he's well, first of all, he's wearing a big brace. But you can tell when you have healthy Rico and not healthy Rico. And he was definitely not healthy at A&M. We saw it on the very first carry. You could immediately tell. Last week he wasn't healthy. You know, he was out before that. So that, that to me, even more, I would argue, even more than anything schematic, which that's played into it as well. But I think just not having Tavian Feaster and not having healthy Rico Dowdle, I mean, that's been pretty substantial too. Um, you know, the, the other stuff, the schematic stuff, I think is also there. And there have been two games now where, you know, South Carolina, we, we've heard from Will Muschamp afterwards, and I'm, I'm speaking of Missouri and App State, where they talked about the movement up front that those guys did defensively. And it sounded like South Carolina wasn't really prepared for it um, and didn't adjust to it. And so – you know, those things you got to do. I mean, against Missouri, you had a guy making his first road start who was pretty erratic in that game dealing with an elbow injury, so they couldn't really throw it effectively there either. Appalachian State, you know, that's the team you got to be able to run the football on, and they couldn't. And so um, I think there's a lot – there are a couple main reasons why why they're at this point. And I think, you know, certainly personnel is one, um, and I think just – the the inability to get anything going on the ground is another primary reason because that's what this team has to be to be successful. Yeah, and um, sort of a couple of just damning stats. Um, I'm looking at the rushing totals right now. You know, that that first run of the game, um, really, really well executed by Rico Dattle. Sort of a huge hole opened up. It looked like a pin and pull to the front side, but um, – it opened up to the backside, and South Carolina sort of cleared the way for him. A uh, huge hole in the backside of this run. And uh, Daddle gets 13 yards on this run. Uh, his total rushing for the entire game, seven carries for 12 yards. So he, he yeah. got 13 yards on the first play of the game, and then six carries for minus one yards the rest of the game. South Carolina's second leading rusher. Your boy Joseph Charlton, uh, the best punter in the world. Uh, <laughs> just going to declare that right now. Uh, the old Ryan, you know, they say history repeats itself. The right. old Ryan Suckup play uh, at Mississippi State from years ago sees that he's about to get. I, I think part of that was just fighter, you know, fight or flight going into uh, effect there. He sees he's about to get pummeled and the punt's going to get blocked. He takes off running for a first down, uh, one carry for 10 yards. Um, so South Carolina's rushing total seven for 12, one for 10 from your punter, three for nine from Kevin Harris, two for seven from Helensky, and then four for seven from DeCarrion Joyner. Um, you know, Chris, there was a question on the teleconference yesterday about South Carolina going away from the run. And generally, you know, we talk about how South Carolina has to sort of be hard headed in the run and stick to the run, um, from a more generalized play calling standpoint. 
you know, obviously it didn't work, but I I can't really fault at that point in the game. I can't really fault South Carolina from going away from the run in the second half. We saw that they tried to just beat their head against the ground against App State and keep trying to mix in the run, and it just didn't work. Um, I, I think after about what six and a half quarters of just running into a brick wall, I'd have probably just said, <laughs> "Screw it, we're going to throw it too." You know, I mean. Uh, at at least with the passing game, you got a chance of maybe hitting a big play. Um, it, it obviously didn't work either, but um, it looks bad when you see all oh, seventeen carries and forty six throws. But um, I, I can't of of the things I could find fault with the number of throws in this game. Yes, you'd like to have been able to run it forty six times because that would have meant you were running the ball well. Mm-hmm. But as the as I, as the game was playing out, um, even with all the personnel issues, even with everything going on. Um, that that part of it, I didn't really have a huge problem with. I, I don't know about you. Yeah, and and I think you find you know if you find fault with the running game, you find fault more in you know not being able to either a come in with some better stuff game plan wise, or b you know coaching your players to execute better, or c making some adjustments earlier in the game. If you're going to make those criticisms, I, I, I'm totally with you. I mean, now the throw game. no form or fashion uh, good. I mean, it looked completely disconnected, I, I think is the best word that I could come up with. Um, yeah. So it, I think, you know, it was a struggle with all of it. I mean, there's really just – it's almost like they're just searching for answers. There's just nowhere to go. I mean, there's just nothing, nothing to do, nowhere to go. And um, it's got to be extremely frustrating. I thought the entire offensive performance was sort of beating their head against the wall, you know. And, and they alternated between yeah. – I mean, you, you had one nice running play with Rico that looked really well designed. You could tell he wasn't explosive, but you had that, and after that you had nothing. Um, you know, how you had one really nice deep ball to Shy Smith. Other than that, th- there wasn't much there. You know, they just couldn't – you know, what were they, 0 for – they were 0 for, what, 9 or something before they got a first down on third down. It was uh, – I think it was at least 0 for 11. Yeah, I remember yeah. 11. 0 for 11. You're on the graphic. Right. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was just it was just a bad performance. Just everything mixed in, and um, you know, it just it just doesn't give your team any chance of winning the game. And then you know, special teams has even it, special teams was the probably the area that everybody felt best about, uh, even more than the defense going into this year. And it's had it's been leaky lately too. I mean, the Charlton play, he saved it. I wish he would have put the ball behind his back when he when he pulled it down. You know, just for a little bit of extra flair before he ran off, but he probably wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't thinking of that, probably. But he de- do you have the punting stats up? You probably don't have those in front of you. But I declared during the game that after that run, I didn't care what happened with the punting the rest of the game. That Joseph Charlton won the Punters Cup, which is our Gamecock Central branded national trophy for the best <laughs> punter in the country uh, or, or the Actually, world. Yeah, or the universe. The universe. Um, well, he is South Carolina's most consistent player. Right. Um, and he's also, unfortunately, um, their most used player at this point. <laughs> right. Yes, he does touch the ball far too much. Um, um, when Joseph Charlton touches the ball more than Rico Daddle, um, probably a bad sign. I do have these numbers. Um, eight punts for, for 368 yards. Goodness. Uh, that's a 46.0 average, a 58-yard long, and, of course, your one carry for 10 yards and another Carolina first down. 
uh, one of few. And then Braden Mann, four punts for 165 yards. That was a 41.3 yard average. He also had a shank. He shanked and another, yeah. And another one that looked to me like a shank, but it rolled um, for a 55 yard long. So yeah, Joseph. I think Braden Mann was highly intimidating. He was. I mean, you by, look at uh, Joe. I mean, he's got hair. He's six the five. Hair, the beard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, Joseph Charlton did not bow to the pressure at all, and and he won the head to head matchup. Impressive. Yes. I mean, very clearly. But but seriously, I mean, we're sort of joking about it, but I mean, I think some people thought I was crazy because, like, after last season, like, I had NFL people tell me if Joe Charlton comes out this year as a redshirt junior, like, he will probably get drafted. And some people are like, what? A a punter? You know, like, and then all the talk has been about Braden Mann this year, rightfully so. The dude has a howitzer, you know, attached to his leg, um, and he's been awesome. But, I mean, Charlton outdueled him. And so that's a that's a money-making performance from Joe Charlton. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. A uh, a very long, bright spot um, <laughs> among a lot of not-so-bright spots. Uh, speaking of bright spots, um, Jamie Robinson, dude. We got to talk about him individually. If you want to talk about what South Carolina's defense wants to be and wants to play like and the – epitome of a of a must champ defense playing at its highest level um to me jamie robinson is your guy uh this guy plays with aggressiveness this kid plays hard um not scared to stick his nose in there even when he's outweighed by 50 pounds sometimes um to me you know, obviously, the, the defense, like we talked about, defensive performance, they, they did some good things on that side of the ball. But to me, Jamie Robinson, as a true freshman, um, it has really come into his own and, and probably had, I would say, one of the better games. As far as the defense goes, uh, you know, I was looking at PFF, those numbers. Uh, Javon Kinlaw had nine pressures in this game, <laughs> which is freaking insane. I, I didn't realize watching it that Javon, had, you know, had done – quite to that extent, but Javon and Jamie Robinson, if we were going to give away our Gamecock central players of the game, obviously it'd be Joseph Charlton on special teams and offense. Um, and then Javon Kinlaw and Jamie Robinson on defense. Oh yeah. I mean, there was a lot of talk during the game about how Kinlaw had not made as big of an impact lately. And, and that was the case against app state. They, they even broke down the, the broadcasters broke down how they had talked to the Gamecock staff and, App State had cut him and, and some things like that um, to limit his effectiveness in that game. But, you know, even if he didn't have a gigantic statistical impact in terms of tackles, sacks, whatever people want to see to judge a defensive lineman's performance, he was in the backfield a lot. Kellen Mond, he took a beating in the game. I mean, they they hit him a bunch. The defense was, was really good for a while. If South Carolina could have pieced anything together offensively, it would have been a much better performance as far as st- final scoreline, in my opinion, from the Gamecock defense, which, which did its part for, I don't know, what, three quarters or so. And so uh, Javon was impressive again. He, he, whipped, he whipped the guy in front of him several times, sometimes with ease. Um, and Robinson, look, I, I think he showed a lot in this game with heart and playing hard, showed off that he's a versatile guy who can play coverage. He could certainly stick his nose in there, as you said, Wes, and tackle you know one comparison that a lot of people made coming in and I'm not saying he's going to be this good although I think he could is is DJ Swearinger you know with just Mm -hmm. sort of the size and the movement 
how both those guys could cover and hit, brought some attitude and swagger to the field. Um, it's actually a comparison that Devontae Holloman made, now the head coach at South Point in Rock Hill, former Gamecock Spur linebacker. Um, you know, he watched some film on Jamie coming out of high school and immediately brought up, you know, one of his teammates, DJ Swearinger, as a comparison. And so um, that was that was a bright spot. I mean, you, you saw you saw some bright spots, I think, out of the defense, even with that performance, and just in terms of some of the body types and athleticism that they've recruited. And I think that's another part that's just sort of frustrating for everybody is they've just got to figure out going forward, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but not to sort of spoil it, but just they've got to find a way offensively to be more productive and to stay healthier um, to, to have a chance to turn the program around from a wins and losses standpoint because they have still recruited some players who I believe can play really on both sides of the ball, particularly on defense. Yeah, and uh, we'll get to that here momentarily. I, I think one, one thing I, I would like to say is I think you've got to give credit to Kellen Mond too, man. I mean, um, early on in his career, I, I'll admit, I wasn't really all that impressed with this guy. I thought he was very inconsistent specifically as a passer, but Kellen Mond, this guy hung in there. He, Like you said, he took some hits. He got the ball out. He was smart with the football. Um, you know, really frustrated the Carolina defense at times with his ability to extend drives and get the football off while getting hit. Um, you know, I thought I thought his play was a difference maker in this game as far as what A&M was able to do offensively, you know, compared to what South Carolina was able to do offensively. Um but speaking of South Carolina's offense, uh, I know you, you posted another what we're hearing on uh, Monday if people want to read that. By, by the way, uh, we have a special going on. Uh, we always have our GC pod uh, special where you can get 30 days free. But if you know that you want to sign up, we actually have a holiday special. You go to Gamecock Central right now, click the top banner on the screen, and um, you actually have two choices. You can get 50% off, which is a, on a yearly subscription, your first year of the subscription that cuts it down to forty nine ninety five. Um, then you also get a forty nine ninety five e gift card to Rivals Fan Shop, which actually has a ton of uh, officially licensed Under Armour stuff, um, Gamecocks gear, um, all types of stuff. Get it for yourself. Get it for a gift for you know for uh, Christmas or whatever you you want. And or you can pay seventy five dollars. That's twenty five percent off. You get a seventy five dollar gift card to Adidas. Um, to their online store and get anything. So we want to invite everybody out to try out those deals. But, you know, Chris, it's been very interesting. Uh, before South Carolina made the change to Kurt Roper, or, or off of Kurt Roper, you know, two off seasons ago, that was one of the big questions. And um, if I recall correctly, you know, Will Muschamp right up until the point that, um, you know, Roper was let go, basically sort of, denied that that was the plan that that was going to happen um this year for the last couple of weeks his go-to answer has been when he's been asked is brian mcclendon going to call plays next year his answer has been we'll evaluate that after the season like we always do um now in the teleconference on sunday he did go out of his way to talk about all the good things brian mcclendon did last year the offense was improved in pretty much every single statistical category last year. Um, I've said it on the podcast several times. I think Brian McClendon is a bright young coach. I think he's got a very bright future. Um, coaching background, playing background, uh, the guy's going to be fine long term. 
I have no doubt about that. But Muschamp, more than I think I've ever heard him say, has repeatedly said when asked about the offense, we got to put them in better spots. we got to do better for the kids. Uh, we're all frustrated. Um, and then for, for him to say we're going to evaluate that at the end of the year, um, it, it just sort of, it sort of feels like the, the writing is on the wall. Uh, regardless of exactly what the changes are going to be, um, you know, from a program standpoint, I think from, from what we've heard and just even from Muschamp's comments, with Ray Tanner saying Muschamp is back, um, the head coach is back next year. But safe to say there will have to be changes in how the program is run and handled in several areas Um or there's no way South Carolina is going to get this thing fixed. Sure, and I think there's a couple aspects to it. Number one, <clears throat> I think you have to recognize, you, you know, the circumstances. So does Will Muschamp look around and see, you know what, Brian McClendon's been dealt sort of a difficult hand this year, right? And he, and he has. And he has. You, look, you look at – and that's true. I mean, the, the, you can separate those things. You, you know, say what you want about play calling if you want to – break down every single play South Carolina's played this year on tape and look at it and dissect it, certainly do that. But to say that he has not, you know, that he's had a full deck or hasn't been dealt a difficult situation, especially as the season has progressed, would be just insane. I mean, really. Yeah. And so yeah, he has. Um, now, I think there's some other things, and I think this has been uh, revealed in, in some of Muschamp's comments even though he typically doesn't say a ton is you know he said things like we have to find a way to counter what the defense is doing you know if they're taking certain things away from us in the run game we got to find a way to counter or we got to find a way to coach better we got to find a way to be more productive so I think it's it's sort of there's some elements of both of those things and you can also recognize that the positives you know that that Brian McClendon has done you can do those things too you know um, you, you can look at the positive and the negative you can look at the circumstances you can look at what needs to be done regardless of those circumstances. At the end of the day, it's a results-based business, and that's the reason why, you know, going forward, there are going to be some things different. It may not even be fair entirely to some of the people involved, but in yeah. college football, you know, it is a business, and you get to a point where sometimes you got to make changes, even if maybe, even if maybe internally you don't even know, you know, you don't even blame a guy for – you know, what has happened, in, at least in full. Uh, maybe it's just part of the equation. Maybe you don't believe as much of the equation at all, but at the end of the day, you've got to make some changes, you know, for the betterment of the program, whether it's perception, whether it's uh, just to try something different and, and to try to be more productive. I think, I think that's sort of the point where they're at right now. And you know what? I mean, to go back to your point on, on McClendon, um, there are – there are a lot of coaches in college football or even the NFL who have, you know, gotten run off or almost run off from places that have gone on to thrive elsewhere. You know, yep. whether it's just change of scenery or different circumstances or growth or, you know, just any variety of factors. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. And I think, you know, maybe, hey, maybe given a full deck, uh, maybe the North Carolina game would have been a little bit more of an aberration. That was not a good game. Uh, in, in terms of execution or, in my, in my opinion, in offensive coaching per se. Um, yeah. But it could have been different. And, and then maybe we wouldn't be talking about this. Maybe we would. It's hard to tell. Yep. And you know what? You got, you got a fan base that's out for blood. Yep. So, 
um, with with the realization that Will Muschamp is definitely back, then um, you got to you got to give the fans something. It, it can't yep. just be the same after you go four and eight and right, wrong, uh, or down the middle. Uh, that's just sort of a fact of life in in this business and in, in coaching. Uh, all right, I think that about wraps it up for now, Chris. Uh, before we go, you want to tell everybody about the uh, Terry Bishop real estate team and what they mean to Gamecock Central. Yeah, Terry Bishop of Bishop Real Estate Group and his wife, Becky Bishop, are uh, sponsor of our all of our football content this season on GamecockCentral.com. So if you read our content on Gamecock Central, you can thank Bishop Real Estate Group for helping support that. Uh, if you need to buy, sell, invest in real estate, he's the obvious call. Uh, former Gamecock quarterback, big supporter of the program, 36 years of real estate experience, He's the guy, so 803-665-1442. Or visit him on Facebook and like his page, facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team. Certainly want to thank the Terry Bishop team for being our sponsor on Gamecock Central and here on the Gamecock Central uh, family of podcasts. And, of course, want to thank Slotsky's Deli for being our sponsor of our weekly uh, predicted win contest as well. Uh, for Chris Clark, I'm Wes Mitchell. Uh, check us out on GamecockCentral.com, and we will be back on Wednesday for another episode of another Carolina podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.